Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Then would all of you take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Now, I'll be honest with you, Daniel's going to be hard to find. No shame in that. It's kind of buried over there in the minor prophets. And so just look in the table of contents. You'll find it. Daniel chapter 6. Hold your place. It's going to be on the screen uh, if you'd just rather look up here in a moment. But uh, Daniel chapter 6. So I started a sermon series the last week, in, uh, two weeks ago, entitled Grow, Becoming the Person God Meant for You to Be. God doesn't save us, so we'll stay the same. He saves us so we can grow and become the person that God meant for us to be when he saved us. And I've been saying, I'll keep saying, God's vision for you is bigger than your vision for yourself. God wants to do greater things through you. God wants to use you more than you even want to be used. But for us to realize that, for us even to move into that realm, we've got to get to know God. We've got to grow in our, it just is not going to happen automatically. So we have these things called spiritual disciplines that help us grow. So the first sermon I preached was called Grow Up. We all need to uh, uh, be growing in the Christian life. Second sermon was Read Up, and we dove into our Bible. I hope you've been reading your Bible this week as you go through those 21 days, and I hope you set yourself up on some kind of Bible reading plan. And today I want to preach on this subject, another spiritual discipline, and that is Pray Up. We're going to talk about prayer. Dr. Jeffrey Hall, who's a professor at the University of Kansas, recently did a major research project. It's actually a little technical when you go to look at the research documents. He did a research project, and he was trying to correlate the amount of time a person spends communicating and talking to someone until they become friends. How how much time does it take in communication to form a friendship? Well, here's what he discovered when he did his research. He he put it into three different levels of friendship. So, for example, it takes 40 to 60 hours of conversation to form a casual friendship. So let's just say somebody new comes into your work and you talk to them for two hours a day. It's going to take you about, uh, what, what is that, four to six weeks working five days a week for you to become casual friends, right? Well, if you want to go beyond just a casual friendship, here's what his research said, is that it's going to take you from 80 to 100 hours to move from casual friend to actual legitimate friend. So again, you do the math. If it's two hours a day, uh, and that's a lot of talking, by the way, two hours a day, five days a week, that's 10 hours a week, and then it's going to take you eight to 10 weeks to become real friends. But then... To move from friend to good friend. It takes 160 to 200 hours of conversation. Now I know what some of you wives are thinking. My husband and I are not even friends right now. I don't think he's ever talked to me (laughs) for 200 hours. Not only was it the amount of conversation. There was something else he studied that he found during the process. The type of conversation mattered. So for example, he, he put them in two different 
uh, context. One was he called small talk. If you talk about the weather, if you talk about your pets, if you talk about sports, current events, that was going to take longer to become a good friend. If you talked about what he called striving talk, that is you talked about dreams and wishes and affection and love and, and what you've done and where your life is. If you talked about striving talk, you could actually shorten the process of becoming friends. But if you want to become good friends with someone, it was going to take 160, 200 hours plus. You're going to have to dive deep. And so here's what his research showed, that the more you talk to someone, the closer you become. The more intimate conversation, the closer you become. And look this way. It is the exact same way with God. The fact is, God doesn't really want a relationship with you where all you do is come running to him in an emergency. You get bad news at the doctor and we go running to God to talk. We get bad news on our job and we go running to God to talk. We get bad news in our finances and we go running to God to talk. We get in a hard time emotionally and we go running to God to talk. We get in a, a bad way in a relationship and we go running to God to talk. And it seems that the only time we want to connect with God is in an emergency. But can I tell you, that's not the way God wants it. God wants you, God wants to be your friend. That'll never happen. Unless you talk to him and you have the spiritual discipline of prayer, just like the man in our story today. Would you stand with me as you open your Bibles, Daniel chapter 6? Now, some of you are going to be very familiar with this passage. Some of you, it could be new to you. I bet all of you, there are going to be things in here you've never seen. So we're going to read the whole chapter. It's not too many verses. It's 28 verses, but it'll go quickly because you know the story. But it is an interesting story from verse to verse to verse. It's fascinating. So follow along. Daniel chapter 6, verse number 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. Think of a satrap and you see that. I don't know how to uh, translate in your Bible. In New King James, it's, it's like a mayor. Think of it as a mayor. And over these mayors, three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give an account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in Daniel. And the king gave thought to setting Daniel over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But get this, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Neither was any error or fault found in him. Man, wouldn't it be great if we could say that about a politician nowadays, right? Verse 5. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, counselors, advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Then King Darius signed the written decree, verse number 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home in his upper room and the windows opened toward Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. 
Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. They went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of Medes and Persians, which does not alter, cannot be changed. Verse 13, so they answered and said before the king that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you. He doesn't respect you, O king, for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. He's praying three times a day, king. The king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased, get this, with himself. He knew he had messed up. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored to the going down of the sun to deliver. I love that verse 14. He's looking for a loophole in his own law. Verse 15, then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it. And with his own signet ring and the signets of the lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Verse 18, now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No musicians were brought before him and his sleep went from him. Then the king rose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? I love it. He didn't even have to answer the whole question, did he? Because if Daniel got ate by the lions, he could say nothing, right? All he had to do is say, Daniel, you there? But he's a believer now in verse 21. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me. Because I was found innocent before him. Also, O king, I've done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Look, not a Paul Mark one. And the king gave the command and they brought these men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote, love this, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Notice the word God now is translated over to a capital G. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Thank you, you may be seated. So very quickly, Daniel was ruler over the entire Medo-Persian empire. As a matter of fact, Daniel was one of the three top guys. They only reported to King Darius. And I'd encourage you, you go, go Google Medo-Persian empire and King Darius. It was the largest, it's such a huge empire. And there's so much to read about it. But this was an enormous empire that even world history tells us about, not just the Bible. And Daniel was one of three of the top rulers who reported the king. And Daniel, because of his integrity, had found favor with God during this time. However, the rest of the rulers didn't like it because 
King Darius was thinking about giving Daniel total control of the kingdom. So everybody else didn't like it. And so uh, they, they contrived together. And here's what they said. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. There was no, uh, no error or fault found in him. And so they decided, hey, we, we would, we'd get Daniel to sin, but he won't embezzle money. We've tried. He, he won't run around on his wife. We've tried that. So the only way we're going to catch Daniel is if we outlaw his religion. So they went to King Darius and they, they, they overloaded him with paperwork. And you've been there at work probably with just a bunch of stuff on your desk and you're signing it, trying to get it out off your desk. And they brought it to Darius. And they said, oh yeah, Darius, there's that piece of paper there that says uh, for 30 days, nobody can ask anything of anybody but you. We're just trying to make you give you the respect that you deserved. And so nobody can go to the bank and ask for a loan. Nobody can pray to their gods. It's no big deal, Darius, but if you'll sign that, we'll put that in the law and uh, it'll, be, it'll, be not, it'll be kind of our way to honor you, King Darius. Darius, going through his paper shuffle that day, signed it. And the copies were made and a, and a copy came across Daniel's desk. He read the decree and he knew what they were doing, that if he was caught praying, It'd be his life. And so Daniel read the decree, folded it up, put it in his desk. And at lunchtime, he went home. And he skipped lunch like he normally did. And he went up to his upper room. And like he always did, Daniel got down and he prayed. And they let it go for just a little while. I imagine Daniel probably got three prayers in. They just wanted to make sure he was committed. And he probably prayed at noon that day and at night that day and the next morning there was a crowd standing outside of his window witnesses they went to king darius and they told the king hey you signed a decree he said yeah i did and he said well here's a problem Uh, daniel doesn't respect you and he's been praying and immediately the king even knew what had happened he knew he'd been tricked and so he looked for a loophole couldn't find one and finally the king brought Daniel to him and so the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions but the king spoke saying to Daniel you're I love it a heathen had more faith in God than most of us do your God whom you serve continually he will deliver you so they put Daniel in the lion's den hungry lions that's how they did it they didn't feed the lions for days and when they threw you to the lions as a form of execution they were ravenous and so they rolled the stone up to the door The Bible says that the king spent a night of anxiety and the next morning he got up and called out Daniel's name. And here's what Daniel said. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. In the story, if you remember back in the story, the king had sealed it with wax over the stone that it couldn't be removed. But he also made everybody who had signed the decree seal it with their signet as well. And so they went back to those that wax and they saw who uh, had signed it. And everybody who had signed the decree uh, was them and their families and everything they owned was thrown into the lion's den. And the Bible says they were devoured before they hit the bottom. Now here's what I want you to uh, get today. After that, in the Medo-Persian Empire, King Darius sent out a decree and said, the God of Daniel, the Hebrew God, is the God. Not a God, but the God, and nobody had ever better worship another God but him. 
And that's the power of prayer. That is the power of prayer in your life. That is the power of prayer in our lives. That is the power of prayer. Listen to me carefully. That is not the power that comes when you pray over your meal and say, now I lay me down to sleep at night or every now and then pray or go to God in emergency pray. That is the power of prayer of those who have the spiritual discipline and the habit of talking to God on a regular basis. How do we get that discipline in our lives? Daniel will help us. Can tell you three things we learned from Daniel's prayer life. Number one is this, that prayer will activate heaven, but it will aggravate hell. Prayer will activate heaven, but it will aggravate hell. Look, look, look at what happened. Then this Daniel uh, distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole kingdom. That's the power of prayer. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge of fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. So here's the deal. The power of prayer had elevated Daniel. The favor of God had been upon Daniel, and it activated heaven on his behalf, but it it aggravated hell. And so here it is. Because of David's walk with God, God was taking care of him. And David had integrity in his life, and David had a prayer life, and David stood for what was right, and God... God activated heaven on behalf of Daniel. And get this, the favor of God was on Daniel. As a matter of fact, this was being said behind Daniel's back, no doubt, that Daniel was the golden child of the Medo-Persian Empire. Oh, Daniel thinks he's all that. Just because his God's favor was upon him. But God's favor was upon him. God was blessing him because he walked with God. And although heaven was activated activated on his behalf, get this, hell did not like it at all. The enemy knew it and the enemy put into motion a devilish plan to, listen, to stop his praying. Note that, to stop his praying and then to take his life. And here's what we learn, that God loves it when we pray, but Satan hates it when we pray. That God wants to become your friend. God wants to answer your prayers. God wants to bless you. God wants to use you. But the enemy wants to stop all of that. Why? Because the enemy knows that if God's favor is upon you, that if heaven is activated uh, towards you, then that means he is losing. And the enemy doesn't want you to pray because if you're praying, that means the kingdom of God is advancing and the kingdom of the enemy is losing and he can't have his kingdom lose because if God's kingdom is on the March, his kingdom is on retreat. And he can't have it that way. When my, my girls, we, we grew up playing basketball. You've heard me say that a bunch. And it was one of the most favorite times. We played Red Department High School, college. It was all fun. I coached them for so many years. We always had good teams. Savannah and Michaela were both good basketball players. And we, we always had good teams. And uh, uh, when I was coaching Red Department basketball, it, 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 most of the time where I was coaching, you know, the stands were behind me and, and, and all the mamas were right there. And it, it was not unusual. I mean, I'm pastor of a church and so it, it was with so many kids. And so it was not unusual that we'd be playing a team and I always had a kid or two from the church on my team. Uh, but then I always, we were always playing church members. And always playing other kids' teams. We'd be sitting there and we'd be running up down the court, man. We'd be in a, in a nail biter and we'd be winning. Things would be going well. And all of a sudden, I'd, I'd hear somebody cheering for the girl on the other team when she did something well. 
and, and it'd be hurting us and, and that girl be, be, be scoring or she'd be stealing the ball and all that stuff and I hear somebody cheering from her and I turn around and just try to see what mama that was and I turned around and it was, it was my mama doing that. <laughs> I turn around and I say, Sherry, not on our team. She said, no, Joel, but we go to church with them. We want her to do well. No, we don't. If she does well, that means we're not doing good. And so I need you to, she said, well, I just, I'm, I, I'm not going to, that's not going to be the way it works. Mm-hmm, that is going to be the way it works. Uh-huh. You cheer for our team. You cheer for our girls because basketball is a zero-sum game. Here's what that means. For every point they score, it makes us look bad. And for every point we score, it makes them look bad. And so we can't be cheering for both teams. She said, well, they're churchmen. I'll pray for them. <laughs> Tomorrow. But not today. <laughs> so they're doing, if they're doing good, we're, it means we're not doing good. Shay doesn't watch, you know, football with me or very much, but every now and then on her news channels, it'll come across about some sad, heartwarming story about a player on the other team. And Sherry will come down. And she said, oh, Georgia's playing so-and-so day. Like, yeah, she said, did you see that story about that other guy on the other team? I hope he does good. <laughs> no, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah, Joel, he has a mama. Fine, let his mama cheer for his team and my mama cheer for our team. That's the way this works. We don't cheer for the other team. I know he overcame adversity. I hope he wins 10 games, but not this one. Because if he's doing well, we're not doing so well. Can I tell you this, that that's the why the enemy hates prayer? Because you win, he loses. And so let me tell you two things about prayer you need to know. Number one, this. I believe the favor of God is on those who pray. You can go throughout the Bible. Now listen to that statement. That is a powerful statement that if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, you need to burn that one into your brain. The favor of God is on people who pray. It's all throughout the Bible. You can go back to Seth. Seth, the son of uh, Adam, who uh, finally said that then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. You can look at Jabez in Genesis, Daniel, Hannah, the early church, Solomon, Elijah, the apostles, the list goes on and on and on. The favor of God are on his people who pray. There is no way around it. But the anger of hell is on those who pray. We see it in the book of Daniel, see it in the book of Job, we see it in Peter's life, on and on and on it goes. The favor of God is on those who pray, but you have to know this, that the enemy is not going to like it. So here's my admonition this morning. Pray anyway, because with God's favor, nothing else matters in your life. Just know this. Hang on. It's going to be a fight to pray. You're not going to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning and suddenly go, I feel like spending an hour in prayer today. No, you're going to have to fight to pray. But do it. Because prayer will activate heaven. Just know it will aggravate hell. Second thing I want to tell you is this. Daniel teaches us that you should have a time and a place to pray. 
If we're going to be a prayer warrior like Daniel, you've got to have a time and a place to pray. Here's what the Bible says. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. In his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since the early days. Now, I'm just going to go through this quickly, but here's what we know. There is so much here that speaks to the spiritual discipline of prayer. Number one, here's what we're told. He had a place to pray. The Bible says it was an upper room. It was a room that was the least used in the house in those days. It would be hot. Heat rises. It'd be hot in the room. That's why the window was always open. But that became Daniel's, what we're told in the New Testament, his prayer closet, his prayer place. And Daniel would go there and he would pray and he'd look up towards heaven and he would pray. And he had this special place that he didn't pray at the office. He didn't pray on the chariot. He went home and in a special place there he prayed. But also we're told he had a plan. The Bible says he prayed three times a day and gave thanks. Early morning, noon, and evening. Sun up, noon, and sundown. Daniel got on his knees and prayed. He just didn't pray. We're told that he was an intercessor. He prayed and he gave thanks to God. Daniel by noon is thanking God for answering his morning prayers. And by evening, he's thanking God for answering his noon prayers. Daniel was a man of prayer. He had a method to his prayer life. He had a plan, number three. He had a pattern. Here's what the Bible says. I love it. As was his custom. Daniel didn't read that that decree from King Darius and said, I'm going to show him. I'm going to go home and start a prayer ministry right now. No. Daniel was praying three times a day long before that decree. That's why they caught him. And as I want to tell you, it's easy to see that Daniel had a spiritual discipline of prayer. Why? Follow me. Because he knew if he didn't, he was never going to be the man of God he could be. Why? Because you can't accomplish anything great with a haphazard approach. You're not going to accomplish anything great by accident. You're not going to wake up one day and accidentally stumble in to being a great Christian. No, if you're going to be a great Christian and be the person God meant for you to be, you have got to have a time and a place and a pattern for NFL playoffs are upon us. There's four teams left this afternoon. I know a lot of you don't care, but just hang on with me because I want to I put something on the, on the screen that pains me just a little bit. But there is not much doubt that Tom Brady for the New England Patriots has become the greatest quarterback in NFL history. Now, just for the sake of reference, when I say Tom Brady, you should boo. Ready? Tom Brady? Thank you. Thank you. Stop that. Let me just tell you a little bit about Tom Brady, right? And, and you can see it up there on the screen where I'm, you look at me. Most games won by a quarterback. These are the records. By the way, I wasn't going to put it all on the screen. This is, this is about half of what we know that he is one or is number one in. I didn't even put what he's second and third in up here. This is number one. Most games won by a quarterback. Best touchdown to interception ratio in a season, 28 to two. Most wins on the road by a quarterback, 88. Oldest quarterback to lead the league in passing yards at age 40. Most yards in a single season for a quarterback age 40 and older. Most touchdown passes with one team, 517. Now, this is in the playoffs. Most games won by a starting quarterback. Most passing yards in the playoffs. Most passing yards in a single playoff game, 505. Most game-winning touchdown drives. Most multi-touchdown games than in the Super Bowl. 
Most touchdown passes in Super Bowl 18, most passing yards, most completed passes, most wins, most Super Bowl appearances, and most passing attempts without an interception in a single season. That is Tom Brady. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now let me read to you what one of his backup quarterbacks said about him. I quote, he's not that talented. (laughs) But he dedicates his life to it. He wakes up and it's all about what am I going to do today to be the best quarterback I can be. That means diet, exercise, hydration. For Tom Brady, playing quarterback is not a job, it's a lifestyle. And you've got to be willing to commit your life to it. And here's what Tom Brady said. This quote is a little haunting. If you want to beat me, you better be ready to lose your life because I've already given up mine. If you want to beat me, you'd be better be ready to lose your life because I've already given up mine. All for a game. But can I tell you this? That that quote is exactly the way Daniel approached his walk with God. That's exactly the way Daniel approached his prayer life. Daniel said, I'm giving up my life. Satan, you want to beat me? You better be ready because I've already given up my life for God. You want to come after me? You'd better be ready because I've already given up my life for God. Hey, you want to to outlaw my religion? You'd better be ready because I'm already praying three times a day and been doing it all my life. That Daniel was willing to make prayer a lifestyle, a discipline, a habit, a process, and a pattern. You've got to ask yourself, what are you willing to do to grow in Christ? What are you willing to do to become the person God wants you to be? Tom Brady did all of that for a game, but God wants us to lose our lives for more than a game, but for him. Every award Tom Brady has ever won will disappear in eternity. But your prayers will live on forever. So what is your plan? What is your place? When are you praying? Has it become a spiritual discipline in your life? That leads me to the third thing. And I'll move through it quickly. If you don't pray before trouble, it may be hard in the trouble. Let me tell you, What I don't have is a Bible verse to go with that point. Do you know why? This is my favorite part of the whole story. We have no recorded prayer of Daniel in the lion's den. There is not one time mentioned in this Bible when Daniel prayed when he was thrown into the lion's den. Now, let's let's, let's put ourselves in that situation. You very well know they've been starving the lions for a good week. There's multiple lions. There's only you. So you're a snack to the majority of lions in there. And Daniel's thrown in the lion's den. A rock is rolled onto the cave, and it's sealed with him and the lions. And there is not one recorded prayer in your Bible. Why is that? Because Daniel had already been praying three times a day before he went into the lion's den. 
Can I give you a little secret to your Christian life? It's hard to get caught up on prayer when a hungry lion is looking you in the face. Like if you get thrown into a lion's den and there are the teeth of a lion and the, and the stank breath of a lion looking you in the face, you, if your prayer starts off like this, dear Lord, I know we haven't talked to each other in a long time. You are dead. If your prayer starts off with, dear Lord, hi, it's me, Joel. You may not remember me. You are gone. You're done for. Why? In the midst of the trouble, it's not always time to get caught up on your prayer life. The time to prepare for the lion's den is before you go into the lion's den. When I first announced my call to preach, uh, I grew up in small churches. Uh, we, we had last week, get this, we're averaging 200 more people a Sunday this January than we did last January. Thank y'all so much for inviting people being here. We had 702 people in this, in this building right here, to, like in this service at 11 o'clock. We had 702 people right here. We're close to that today. We only have about 740 seats out. The churches I grew up in, every single person in the church could fit right there in that section twice. Churches I grew up in average 30. I announced my call to preach in a church that maybe ran 100. And uh, I was in my early 20s and I announced my call to preach. And I was a bivocational student pastor. And, and um, uh, I never wanted to be in the pastorate. I, I absolutely did not want to quit my job and go into the pastorate. And uh, so I was bivocational. And uh, you know what that's like. And so, um, uh, but it was not unusual. I figured out my pastor at the time would stop me. I sang in the choir, Denny. You've never asked me to sing in the choir. I just want you to know that. But uh, <laughs> he has heard me sing. But uh, I would sing in the choir. And uh, I, I was up there for my good looks, not my good voice. And so I was singing in the choir. And um, my pastor would grab me on the way down. He'd, he'd grab me by the shirt. And he'd say, hey, uh, go say a prayer. You're about to preach. <laughs> Tonight? Today? Yeah. I want you to just a couple minutes. We'll, I'll, I'll do something and just get your thoughts together and you come on up and I don't have any thoughts, man. I don't, I don't have anything. <laughs> I don't have anything. I need like warnings. He's like, well, God, God will put something on your heart. I don't know. I mean, are you sure about this? It's your church. Are you sure about this? That happened to me one time. And then you know what I did? I went home and studied and I shoved my Bibles full of so many sermons that I could have preached anytime, anyway, and not repeat the sermon whatsoever. Why? The time to prepare for a sermon is not go say a prayer and then come on up and preach. My preacher took that verse, be instant in season and out of season, quite literally. And so I started carrying sermons around with me everywhere I go. Because you never knew. Can I say this? Close your Bibles and I'm finished. I'd like to say you never know, but you do know this, that there is always a lion's den around the corner. Did you know that in your life? There's always trouble around the corner. There's always heartache around the corner. There is always a battle around the corner. It is true for you. It is true for me. There's always trouble around the corner. There's always a lion's den. There's always going to be a hungry lion staring you in the face. 
staring a lion in the face is not the time to get caught up on your prayer life. Stay prayed up. So whatever the enemy can come up with to throw at you, you're not having to introduce yourself to God because you're prayed up. Stand up with me. I know what some of you are thinking already. Preacher, you want me to read my Bible? You want me to pray? Nobody has that much time. Well, let me help you. Maybe time to declutter. In America, the average time spent on smartphones a day is two hours and 51 minutes. The average time spent on smartphones and tablets is four hours and 33 minutes. The average user spends an hour and 16 minutes a day on social media. And get this, the average user will tap, swap, and click their phone. Tap, swap, and click their phone. 2,617 times a day. 2,617 times a day. You do this. I do that. I'm not telling you to get rid of your phone. I'm telling you you have time to pray. It's just whether you know make it a priority or not. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I want our staff, you go ahead and come just now because here's the truth. The only prayer you need to pray if you don't know Christ as your Savior is, Lord, save me. That's as simple as ABC, A, admitting you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. You're not good enough to go to heaven. You've got to be, believe Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day. And see, you've got to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.